at Jared. We know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Blog Talk Radio. of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, hello. Uh, before we jump in, just a quick uh, shout-out to our sponsor, Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. You can listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want, and get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician. So, yeah, there's that. So, I guess we can acknowledge that we have a football team this week, but not much else. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have much to add. We we, we allegedly have a, a football team that plays. That plays something. It's not football, though. Maybe rugby? Um, no, I think rugby requires, like, you know, tackling people. Yeah, that's true. Well, we do have a soccer team. That's that's football and other places. This is true. We do have a, a football team that is quite good <laughs> and will hopefully uh, beat our, our best friends, the Georgetown Hoyas, uh, this weekend. So, or whenever that game is. I don't know what day it is. But go, go Syracuse soccer. Keep on doing good things and make us forget about the bad things that happen elsewhere. I will say that before we like move on to football because I don't really think I can stomach it for very long. Um, I, I've been frustrated with his entire season, the personnel moves overall, like just the way the team is run. But this was the first time that I felt like this team just flat out gave up, and it wasn't just it wasn't you know just the players, just the coaches. I felt like overall this, this entire performance was nailed in against Pittsburgh. Um, and I, I think to me that was a real bummer to me as a fan. Have an insult to me as a fan too. It's just like seeing seeing a team that, that, though you know they're not very good this year, you you know constantly root for them to to at least do something. Players get some good experience out there, and and for the first time all season, the first time under Schaefer, really, this team looked like it just completely quit. And, and I, I I think think and feel like part of that was was under direction from the coaches, which is which is troubling. Yeah, I, I've you know, I really try not to be fast triggered in in things like needing coaching changes and whatnot, but 
Pitt's not a very good team. Uh, they've shown that repeatedly this year. There's reason they have such losses already. Um, and like, if there was a reason why I picked Syracuse in this game, and I wasn't, you know, overly confident about that. But I thought, you know, this team has played hard all year, and you know, Pitt's a very vulnerable squad. Obviously, they have some really good players, but if if Syracuse goes out and really plays a good game and, and it stays focused, which I, I was hoping they would do because I know they all love Coach Schaefer and whatnot. Um, they would go out and have a good performance. But when you watch a game like that, and admittedly, I'll, I'll just put it out there, I was working during the game, so I didn't get to see all of it as attentively as I usually am. But, you know, I, I saw what happened. I was watching, you know, I, I got the, the main gist of the game. Um, yeah, it's just absolutely it, it was it was bad, and for all of the the plaudits that you can give to Schaefer, and I I still really hope that Schaefer works out and he succeeds here because I think he's a I, I enjoy him as a person and I think he's a good guy. Um, that only goes so far, and when uh, when you, if you have a thirty to seven loss against a team that has a very deep, good chance of not making a bowl this year, um, it that's just a problem. So. It's uh, it's just disheartening. I mean, obviously, it, it, there's not a huge difference between being five and seven or three and nine. At the end of the day, you don't make a bowl either way. You still want to go out there and watch and see the kids, you know, play well and play hard and, and look like they're prepared. And it really didn't look like that. And I think this is probably the first time this year where I totally thought where I where I thought that the team might have been checked out. Like even in the other games when there were bad mistakes, I never thought the team was you know, not trying. I thought there were mistakes were, were stemming from elsewhere, but this game eventually it just looked like they just weren't they they, they were they were done by the third quarter. So very disheartening. Yeah, and I think what what was the big issue for me and I know a lot of other people as well on the site, on social media, um, was the decision to punt on fourth and one from the fifty down twenty three points. It just felt like it's not even to like invoke Greg Robinson's name, but that was the type of, you know, shit that drove us nuts when he was the coach. And and now here we were again, like, you know, we're supposed to be this this kind of slug it out team and, and, and that we're always in it and we're always putting our best foot forward and everything else. And then you look at you look at something like that and to me like I I just I can't stomach that 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 type of decision making. Yeah. I think you said it really well in in the um, the power ranking post today. Like you were talking about BC, I don't think Boston College is a discernibly more talented team than Syracuse if all things are equal in terms of injuries and whatnot. But they are a team that has so clearly bought into their identity and just execute at a very high level, and that's why they can do things like very be seconds away from upsetting Florida State um, and Syracuse. You know, we we we, per, uh, we think we have a similar identity. Last year we beat Boston College by doing, you know, making big plays and whatnot, and and that shouldn't be taken away. I still think last year does buy shape for some. Uh, he's in a, he's not going to get fired this year. I just can't see that being a thing. But good lord, it just BC. I again, I don't think uh, top to bottom on the roster has more talent than Syracuse at all. But you just watch them and you see what a team that executes well and knows what it want, what it can do and what it wants to do and does it uh, looks like. And Syracuse, it's just, you, I have no idea what this team is supposed to be 
uh, mostly offensively. Defensively, we have an idea, but they, you know, they had a bad performance this weekend too. But offensively, I, I couldn't tell you what this team's goals were, what their identity was, and, and part of that's with the coaching change mid-year. But still, like, you, you should be able to at least, you know, fake it for a couple of weeks and, and look decent. But unfortunately, the, the change from McDonald Balester, we were all for it at the time. Uh, the offense has gotten worse, if anything, and obviously injuries have to factor into that too. But it's it's really disheartening. And again, uh, we don't need to to go into that decision so much. But th- there's no nothing I've seen in the last five or so weeks has told me you know I really want to get another year of this offense and see how it works out. So it's unfortunate, and and there's not the requisite hope that you get, you know, from playing young players and whatnot, it's, it's still more of the same, you know, beating down of the fans. Yeah, I mean, I think this is just a top-down, I mean, it's a top-down issue, and, and that's that's kind of what's troubling here. And I mentioned that in the, in, the, uh, in the power rankings post, just because I felt like, you know, like Spencer hit it on the head, like, DC just understands, you know, it, its identity and, and bought in very quickly. And, and it was based on personnel. Syracuse talks one thing in terms of hard nose and also the crap. Like, at, at some point, if it doesn't, if it's not delivered upon, it just becomes a buzzword um, and, and one that's already largely ridiculed around college football. Um, you know, you can't say you're a grinded out team when you throw the ball more than you run almost every game this season. You can't, you know, try to run. Like, you can't say you're going to run, you're going to be a fast-paced offense when you've only hit your 80-plays-a-game mark once all year. It's just, to me, there's just a lot that, unfortunately, like, you just have to look at the coaching staff a little bit and say, like, hey, guys, like, what's going on? Like, why aren't we... Why aren't we getting better? Why do we look like we're getting worse? Why does it seem, why does it seem that this team, as, as you stated, like, why does it seem like this team does not have an identity, especially on offense, um, that it really, really just kind of meanders around? Um, and I felt like, again, you know, this week more than any other, it, it featured, you know, no discernible direction, flow, or anything, and, and the fact that. That we've already decided that without looking anywhere else, we're going to sign on for another year of this. Um, I, I'm I'm confused. Yeah, and and again, like I totally understand that Tim Lester doesn't have his, his system in place. But is anyone really excited to find out what his system is when he can't make anything happen with what we're doing now? Like, I I I, I would bet that next year the offense will be better, and by better I mean like not a hundred and you know, not one of the bottom 20 offices in the country. Maybe we'd be in the bottom 40. But there are so many young offensive, you know, minds out there in in the ranks of coaches at schools, you know, in smaller conferences. Why, why tether yourself to a guy who has never been an offensive coordinator at this level and doesn't have the upward mobility right now that he would even probably leave. He'd probably stay on as Syracuse quarterback coach because where else, who else is going to hire Tim Lester at the D1 level? And I'm not you saying this to, like, Barry Lester as, you know, maybe eventually he'll be a really good offensive coordinator somewhere at this level, but there's no reason to, to tie yourself to him. He's not, you know, he's not Jeff Tedford. He doesn't have 
uh, a long line, you know, a, a huge resume of success at the D1 level, you can go find a new guy. We know Schaefer has been all over the place. He knows coaches. Uh, I just it, it drives me nuts because we could, you know, we could be excited about next year if Schaefer was like, we're going to go out and and I, you know, I don't think he would say this now because it's midseason, but if he was, you know, going out and, and talking to people and trying to find the best offensive line he could, then I can say, you know, this. Four and eight, three and nine season really sucked, but at least now we know that Schaefer is going to do what he needs to do to go correct the offense. And I'm not convinced that he is. I think he's taking the path of least resistance with keeping Lester on, and I hope Lester succeeds. But again, there's just no reason for us to like for that to be the default position. If you can't find another guy, then fine. But there's no reason Syracuse shouldn't be able to find another guy. So it's just it's it makes it hard to go into the off season with any kind of of real hope, and that's unfortunate because even in bad years, the first Marone year was was a tough year to watch. But we knew there was things were getting better. We knew there was reason to be hopeful. Uh, even after the last G Rob year, we knew we were getting a new coach that was open up. Now we don't know if there's anything discernibly different going to be about this team. We don't know who our quarterback is. We don't know if we have a quarterback of the future on the roster. We, you know, aren't sure. We're not sure what the fallout is going to be from McDonald inevitably leaving in terms of recruiting. It's just, it's really, Syracuse football is in a really bad place where usually it feels like in years past, even after bad seasons in the past, we've had reason to be optimistic heading to the offseason. Yeah, I mean, this is 2007 all over again, which, you know, shouldn't really inspire, um, much in terms of hope. I mean, I'd say, yeah, we're looking at 2007, maybe 2006, because, I mean, 2006 actually didn't start terribly. It didn't look great, but it also didn't start terribly. Um, we went from 1-10 in 10 to 4-8. and eight. There was a market difference um, in, in the on-field wins and losses. Um, and then, you know, in 2007 was just a two it was just a two and ten train wreck. This kind of feels like that. Uh, as someone who was on campus at the time, that there there is there's very little to be thrilled about. There's too many questions. I mean, at this point we squandered uh, an aggressive, interesting defense that is, is going to graduate a, a good deal of its of its key pieces. We had some young guys in there, but I don't necessarily think that they can do it on their own. I think that, you know, it's going to take a bit of a leap on some of their parts to really become the leaders, um, you know, like guys like Deshaun Davis and Cam Lynch that are leaving. Um, I think offensively, uh, you know, we have, we're going to have a lot of work to do to figure out um, how to, you know, run an, run any offense behind a retooled um, and very green offensive line. Um next season. Like you said, we don't know who our quarterback is. We're going to have to replace um, our two most productive runners. doesn't mean best, however. Um, I, I don't... I, I wouldn't know who our best runners would be this year based on our inconsistent um, carries for, for the five guys um, in that backfield. But there's just... I People keep saying and writing excuses for Lester, and, and I'm willing to give him time, but you can only say stuff about injuries and not your system for so long. It's, if you can call plays, you can call plays, and you don't need your system and your guys 
to call plays successfully or at least competently, and that's that's I guess what I'm struggling with now. Yeah, I also really I mean this is a minor issue because I don't think it made a difference in the game ultimately the way it played out. I don't care why we pulled AJ Long from Mitch Kimball for that long when it was very clear that Kimball wasn't going to make things happen in fit. But and Long at least has a shot. But again, I don't I don't think that you know maybe we lose thirty to fourteen instead. But either way, like it's just it's it just seems like we've settled, um, and that it doesn't need to be that way. Like the 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 one thing that happens when you lose nine games in a year is that there's a lot of room to improve and. It doesn't seem like we are taking the necessary steps to do everything we can to improve when, realistically, Schaefer's going to be coaching for his job next year, so you'd think he'd be a little more urgent about it. Well, that's, I guess, the other troubling thing. is like Again, just like you, I really like Schaefer, but it seems that urgency is not a thing that anyone associated with the program right now feels or understands or, or, or gets. And I guess to me, that's not good because I mean, and you can just trace it right back to what McDonald said after he was demoted. Nobody on this, nobody on this staff feels like they're in any danger, no matter what happens out there. And to me, like, no, you shouldn't, you shouldn't create in any workplace an atmosphere where people always feel like they should, they're going to be fired. But at the same time, you should be, there should be an atmosphere that pushes people to to do better than they did the day before and to actually produce results because if you don't, the complacency starts to create kind of what we're seeing here. There's a malaise over this team that, again, hasn't hasn't been seen since about 2007. We, we were, as a fan base, we were resolute in 2008 that, that Robinson was gone and we were excited for the future. In 2007, uh, there were rumblings mid-season that Robinson wasn't going anywhere, regardless of how bad that thing was. And you know, then that that was disheartening. It was debilitating as, as a fan base. And I feel like somehow we're back there, despite making a ball game three times in five years. I feel like we're right back to square one, and that's 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 an awful feeling to have, given where square one is. And we're no longer in a college football world where the four years is like the, the baseline for what a coach gets. Like other programs at the level that Syracuse aspires to be will cut a coach after two years if it doesn't work out. And we've seen one year firing. Like there, I, I again, I don't want to rush to declare the Schaefer tenure a, a, a failure because it's way too early for that. Um, he made a bowl in his first year. Uh, that he he achieved, and it was probably you know a bit of overachieving, all things considered last year, but to to take a team that we most of us thought would be at least similar in wins and better on the field this year, and again injuries aside, be so much worse. It's very troubling, and we can't afford to fall into the trap of losing three straight years like. I feel very strongly with about, you know, Schaefer needs to needs to win next year. That needs to happen, and I really hope he does. And I'm rooting for him, and I'm not going to bash him as a person or anything because that's unnecessary and unprofessional. But it's uh, it's pretty dire, and I hope he understands that. And I hope he does, you know, if he has to go back on, on something he said mid-season to better the team, I surely hope he does that. 
Right, and I, I would echo those thoughts exactly. I'm, I'm rooting for him to do well, and I think that it's one of those those situations where it's just everyone needs to understand the gravity of what we're dealing with right now. And based on what we saw in the pit game, it sure as hell doesn't look like anybody does. But, you know, hopefully I'm proved wrong next year. Um, it's not as if SU is this coaching hotbed or has this ridiculous pipeline of guys that we can just plug in whenever. I mean, other programs have turned things around in less time and not just, you know, public schools, private schools. I mean, Cal seemed like they had hit rock bottom and they're, you know, a win away from bowl eligibility. Because lots, I mean, even Northwestern, a team that was like riddled with injuries to start this year, similar to what we've done. I mean, Northwestern did what a win away from bowl eligibility. Like, there, there are countless examples across the country. I mean, Georgia Southern, yes, they're in Georgia, but still, Georgia Southern comes in first year in FBS, and they're on track to win nine games. Like, these things can be done, and no, our schedule is going to be prohibitive. By design, but it goes back to what Sean said a couple of weeks ago. Get us to four and zero to start, and then we'll take care of the rest. Like, if you get to four and zero, you only need to go two and six, and eventually two and six leads to three and five. We, last year, we went four and four, you know, in the ACC in our first season. So, if we scheduled smart in non-conference, we go eight and four last year, despite having what is what was largely not a great team. And this is just, you know, it just it gets back to the crux of how to build this program back up, and it's it's unfortunately not the way that we're doing things right now. Yeah, it's 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 hard to be overly optimistic, and and hopefully things change in the off season. I I will keep the faith, and I'm sure we'll talk ourselves into six or seven wins come August, and hopefully we don't look ridiculous like we kind of did this year, even though I still think. Our, th- our thought process was justifiable considering everything we brought back. But you can't foresee injuries. You can't foresee the, the offense being doing what it did. So it's, I don't know, I, I, it makes me sad. <laughs> it makes me really sad to, to think about when we, we really were excited for this year. No, I agree. And I think that that's, that's the problem any SU fan I've talked to is just kind of like dumbfounded by what's, what's transpired here especially, again, those of us who were there for any part of the Greg Robinson tenure, um, it, it's it's puzzling to see everything kind of fall back downhill, uh, you know, so quickly, so swiftly. And, and, and so it, it, it seems like there there is an exclamation point on this drop instead of, instead of what you would normally see on on a slight decrease which is, you know, an ellipsis of, okay, let's see what happens next. Yeah. It's, uh, we could have beer. All right. Let's, uh, on that note, well, first, let's, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to get to halftime, but, uh, do a little, another shout out to audible.com, our sponsor. We're happily sponsored by Audible.com. They're a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and info. Uh, there's over 150,000 titles or so to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, even uh, whatever it is you're listening to us on now. Uh, you want to sign up at our URL, audibletrial.com slash noonsmagician. Get yourself a free audiobook. 
um, and two books you might want to check out this time around. Uh, I decided to focus on football because I'm going to talk about other people's football programs. Um, of the 50-year seduction, how television manipulated college football from the birth of the modern NCAA to the creation of the BCS. Uh, that one's actually been on my to-read list for quite some time. So I would highly recommend folks uh, go check that one out. It's a very, very poignant read. Um, you know, in now that we're in kind of a post-realignment world, um, at least for the time being. And then also uh, the system, the glory and scandal of big-time college football. Uh, just kind of, you know, goes into the inner machinations of how how large football programs get built and how, you know, there's different routes to get there, some of which aren't pretty or allowed. Some people get away with it, others don't. Uh, just, again, interesting given the, the landscape we're currently looking at in college football. But, yeah, uh, what have you been drinking, Ben? Uh, a decent amount. Um, the last couple days, uh, the ones I really want to highlight, um, I had a chance to try Captain Lawrence, which is one of my favorite breweries from uh, Westchester County. Um, their pumpkin ale, which I don't think I had had before, uh, very good. Wouldn't quite put it on the same tier as, you know, a southern tier or, no pun intended, or a couple of my other favorites, but very drinkable, very solid pumpkin ale, um, although we're... Uh, although, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of nice down here today, but this weekend it was like 20 degrees, so we were feeling very much uh, wintry uh, as opposed to, to, to autumnal, I guess. Um, so we're almost out of that season, unfortunately. Um, but the one I, I definitely want to promote here, because I had never heard of the brewery or the beer when I had it, um, is, and I'm probably going to mispronounce it because it's a crazy, uh, it's, Jan or Jan, I'm not sure which, Olympic White Lager from Single Cup Beersmith, which I had never heard of. Apparently, they're in Astoria, so they're right here. Um, this was a really good beer. Like, I think I gave it four or four and a half stars on Untapped, which I'm usually pretty uh, pretty loath to do, unless something's, like, really tremendous. And this was one of the best uh, White Lagers I've had in a long time. Um, I'm not, I have no idea what their... Uh, how, how wide-ranging their uh, their beers go or, or where you can find it. Uh, again, I had never heard of the brewery until I saw it on tap at the bar I was at. Um, so it, may, it might just be a thing you can find in, in New York. But it may... Yeah, you were at Barcade? That's dope. We were at Barcade, yeah. Um, I was sorry, I went here on tap. They have a very nice beer list. Um, and this was on there, and I just kind of took a flyer on it, and I was very glad I did. One of the better new beers, I, new beers I've tried in a long time. So um, definitely if you're in the New York area or wherever this beer is, which I don't know off the top of my head, but I'll try to find out as we're talking here, uh, definitely try that. I guess, uh, I'll check. Astoria. So they're yeah, around. the brewery's in Astoria. Seems like they they're self-distribute, so I don't know how easy it'll be to get if you're not in uh, in New York City. Yeah. But hopefully they expand because this was tremendous. Nice. I definitely need to check out their tap room soon. Now that I know they. Mm-hmm. And I have to bookmark that one myself. Um. 
things I've been drinking this week. Well, I know last week's podcast was on a Wednesday night. This week is on a Monday night, so shorter kind of gaps than normal. But a uh, friend of the blog, Aaron Goldfarb, who most probably remember as a contributor here on the site, uh, sent me a couple uh, mini growlers uh, from Other Half Brewing, uh, Green Diamonds, which is a double IPA, and uh, Hop Showers, was a single IPA, both very, very good beers. I uh, really enjoyed those. Um, had some Citraholic IPA from Beechwood. Um, and also made uh, the Syracuse football game better by drinking some Heady Topper uh, from The Alchemist, largely referred to as one of the best IPAs in the world and the East Coast version of Pliny the Elder, just as Pliny is called the West Coast version of Heady Topper. Um, also enjoyed some Pangalactic Gargle Blaster from Shorts, the Belgian double IPA. So, yeah, that was pretty solid. And I do have a lot of really good stuff that I'm looking forward to opening soon. I know I just got in the mail. Um, that's from Southern Tier. I know one of your faves, Dan. You got uh, chocolate and uh, creme brulee bottles. That I'll I haven't be had the creme brulee. Into. The chocolate's pretty good. Yeah, I'm uh, splitting those with the wife. She's a big fan of dark beers, so I have like a like a whole like line of them now in my fridge, like waiting for her to be in the mood to drink them. So yeah, on to uh, on the happier things though. Basketball. I mean, not completely happy, but but happier, right? Sort of. Yeah, I'm I'm cool with basketball this year. I'm I'm still excited. I, I think it's like the reverse of what I was saying about football. Like with basketball, we know we have a young team, but like you see fl- flashes of how good they can be when all things are clicking, and I have. Uh, a decent amount of faith in that they will click eventually um, as opposed to the other sport that we just talked about. Agreed. I, I think and I was talking to my buddy at work today who also went to SU um, and, and his big thing was was similar to mine. He was just a little concerned about how the offense comes together and somebody, I forgot who it was, brought up a decent point in the comments section um, at the Iowa game which was, you know, we were extremely spoiled by last year and Ennis coming right in, but we also forget that team got to start practicing months earlier because of the Canada tour. That's a really good point. And yeah, and that's something that this team has not had the luxury of of, of yet. A lot of these guys um, have not played together. There's, the chemistry isn't there yet. The focus isn't there on both ends of the floor. I mean, you're seeing like a lot of lapses in transition defense. Um, and you're also seeing right now the offense is running through the only guy who's really been around long enough and has stayed consistent, um, and it's Rocky and Christmas. Obviously, you know, we would love it if uh, Trevor Cooney or any of the Cooney brothers w- w- would show up um, from the perimeter. But without that, um, you know, the offense obviously has to run through Christmas right now. Uh, I think you'll see it looks like Chris McCullough is is next in line to kind of understand the offense, but unfortunately... Um, and this may take some time and another loss or two in non-conference. Um, unfortunately, we're looking at, um, you know, a, a slow developing process in terms of 
of just how well these kids are gonna are gonna understand um, the offense and their roles in it. And you know, if if one of them develops a jump shot, then I, I think a lot changes. But until then, um, you know, we, we kind of just have to accept the fact that we're gonna be exploiting the paint with with two guys and, and hope that that neither of them fell out. Yeah, it's um I think people have said like I, I with with when we if we have these two uh post players scoring thirty ish points a game, eventually things are going to have to open up on the outside. Like teams are just going to pass the middle more so than they already are. Um but shooting's obviously the, the, the worry here. We have our, our shooters, uh, our potential shooters anyway. Tooney, you know, 8 for 24. B.J. Johnson, 4 for 13, and his role seems to be very questionable. Um, Benajay is only 2 for 11 from outside. Taylor Joseph is 0 for 3. Ron Patterson's 1 for 8. Um, we need, uh, A, I think Tooney needs dead going. Uh, I do like to see him. Uh, he's, he's generating more assists. I know that was a knock on him last year. He, he rarely uh, – he just didn't get any assists, which is kind of weird for a two-guard. Um, now he's up at 2.8 a game, which is nice. Uh, he's, you know, still scoring. He's finally laid to the line more. So I, I do enjoy that Tooney's finding other ways to impact the game, and I thought he played pretty well against, uh, against Iowa, um, even though his shot, you know, isn't consistent. Um I think we need one of B.J. Johnson and Rob Patterson to step in and, and find a role, and it's tough. Obviously, Beheim wanted to win that Iowa game, just, you know, did a nice win on the, on the non-conference resume, and so he was very reluctant to play one of those guys. I don't know. I think maybe Patterson checked in for a minute or two, and I don't think B.J. got in into Iowa at all. But it just stands to reason that one of those two guys need to – factor in this year because I, I don't know that Benajay is ever going to be a consistent enough three-point shooter to make a huge difference. Uh, Cooney is what he is. Some days I'm sure he'll go off a couple times this year and we'll get excited, but otherwise he's probably going to be hovering around the 33, 35% mark. Um, we just need another guy that can hit the, the, the three-point ball um, on an open look that teams can't not rotate over to at like a 30, 35% clip and um, the problem is that, you know, we hear about Patterson as, you know, being, as being a good defender. I don't know if Beheim quite trusts him yet. I'm assuming that's why B.J. Johnson hasn't had the chance to get a lot of playing time outside of that first game. Um, so I'm, that's what I'm looking out for uh, is, is to see which one of those two can emerge because um, with the seven-man rotation we have otherwise, I just don't quite see the offense really playing up to its potential. Um but if one of those two guys can pledge and, and really make an impact this year, even if it's just 20 minutes, 15 minutes a game, I think we'll have a pretty promising squad. Yeah, I mean, I, I completely buy that. I think, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan. I said it on, in the recap. I wasn't a big fan of, of going to the really short bench um, so early in the season just because, you know, when we've had a short bench in the past, it's been because we have, you know, we have five or six guys who we say, okay, like these are our guys. Right now, I think we have maybe two guys who are really, you know, definitively um, belong on the floor at all times, and that's McCullough and Christmas. Um, I think Cooney, if he, you know, what I, I'm, I'm kind of written off as a Cooney hater, and and I would be honest, like I, I don't like him shooting his way out of the slump anymore because I don't think he ever is. That said. I think that 
if he drives the lane more, uh, if he gets to the free throw line more, if he does a lot more of what we saw against Iowa, where he, he is a very good off-ball defender. If he does more of that, I'm fine with him being on the floor and, and maybe transitioning to more of a distributor while um, Caleb Joseph really kind of finds his legs. That would, I think, be an, an ideal outcome for us. Um, it still doesn't fix the three-point problem, but it does at least fix the killing missing shots problem um, for the time being. I know another suggestion some people had was just having Cooney come in off the bench um, and have Benajay start um, at the two, which I, to be honest, I, I'm all for um, at the moment, whether or not it actually occurs and something tells me it won't, like, I guess remains to be seen. I'd rather see I, – I kind of agree with – I'd like to see Benajay start, and I never uh, am one of the people who jumps on Beheim's six-man decisions. But I'd rather have Benajay start for Tyler Roberson because I honestly don't know what Roberson really brings to that starting lineup, considering he's not a great shooter uh, or, or even a good shooter. He hasn't shown a real ability to slash to the hoop. He rebounds fairly well, but I just – don't see – I don't know what he really brings to the table in that group. Um, and I think Benajay is a more talented offensive player. I think we could stand to sacrifice a little bit of rebounding ability with uh, Christmas and Matola in there. And I think he would spread the floor a little better. Yeah, I, I'm on board with that. And I think you know, it, it is going to be a struggle here. I think ultimately this falls to Bayheim. We all know that. Um, but I'm looking at, like, I, I know we've talked about our three-point shooting struggles. Right now, Syracuse is 323rd in the country in terms of three-point shot percentage. Out of, out of like, what, 350? Out of 351 schools. That's not great. Nope. So, fortunately for us, I guess, uh, one of our upcoming opponents, St. John, is just above us. And I'm sure there might be they're, another team on the schedule that also is there. No, Florida State's there, and as is Boston College and Louisville. But actually, Louisville being down there is almost shooting my point in the face. But yeah, but yeah, they also is. have like other consistent players, and they have a defense that will destroy teams. Right. Now, I think I think right now, um, as much as Beheim is going to do what he does and he's going to use a short bench, I, I do think that we do need to explore all options right now. And if that means, if that means playing 10 deep um, through the first 18 games or so, I don't have a problem with it because again, we need to find who these who our our, our go-to guys are. And and while I think. You know, no one's gonna, no one's gonna develop a clutch gene or any sort of like discernible jumper overnight. Um, I, I think putting players in, in the right positions and making making quick substitutions where necessary, and really just kind of getting getting a lot of guys burned so we can stay, we can keep hot shooters out of foul trouble. Um, I, I think, and everyone's kind of said this in the site. Let's get let's get a Boko a good five minutes a game. Just to just to get him some burn, let's you know ha- try to help Christmas avoid stupid fouls. I, I think there's a lot we can do with his roster, and I'm not 
I guess there were a few games of not seeing it. Again, it's not the question of Bayheim, but it's to say that, like, it seems like a no-brainer that we probably should just explore every option with a, a group of, of almost entirely of unknowns. Yeah, and, and hopefully now that we're going back to the easier games, um, this is more about getting a win against Iowa uh, than, oh, we're already cutting things down to seven. Um you know, we have Loyola and Holy Cross before we have to go to Michigan. I really hope that we are in a position where we can see what we get from Patterson and Aboko and Johnson um, before we have to go to, to the Chrysler Center because otherwise, uh, I don't know if Michigan's a great team this year, but they are talented enough where we can't, you know, rely on one of those two uh, guards or, you know, wing guys or, or two guards to play some decent minutes or if we can't rely on a Boko to at least go in there for, for five or seven minutes and, and, you know, eat up some fouls and, and give Christmas a rest and keep him out of foul trouble, you know, that might be a game where we're really uh, exposed once again. But uh, hopefully these next two games will, will get us, you know, we, we get in, uh, used to what this roster is a little bit more and, and they come together a little bit more. Absolutely. Um. I guess looking at the team, I know I asked this question in the uh, in a roundtable last week. Uh, do you two more games in? Do you think that, that Trevor Cooney's playing too many minutes? Thirty-five a game right now. Um, I, I kind of stick with what I said last week. I think thirty-five is too many. Um, I don't know if it's all. I don't think it should be twenty-five. I think he should be somewhere around thirty. Um. If this team is successful, I think Cooney's going to be the most, uh, the best guard on the team, unless Joseph really has a breakout at some point. But I really, again, I, I really want to see one of those other two younger guys step up and be able to uh, be a reliable scoring option off the bench. I know Beham has talked about how streaky Patterson is, but we haven't seen him really blow up since the exhibition season. Uh, we have seen Johnson do it, but uh, again, I assume that defense is more of his issue. But uh, I think those guys will will have to be a, a decent enough sub for Cooney, or else you know I, I don't know if it, if it worked out to uh, to run him out there. We saw what happened midseason last year uh, when he kind of went in the tank offensively, and and everyone always notes how hard he works. Um, hopefully, we can get his minutes down just to to keep his lights fresh, so that hope that he can maybe bounce back a little bit and have those three-point shooting exhibitions that we've seen him go off on. Right. Now, I guess, when we talk minutes, do we think that... Do we think that Caleb Joseph really having no one to challenge him at the point guard spot becomes a problem? Because admittedly, while, yeah, we're only four games into his career, I would say he's been the weak link of the of the five guys kind of getting the most minutes right now. Um, I think it's highlighted because he's playing. Like if we didn't have these Cal and Iowa games so early, I, I think people would be less worried about it. Um, but again, he's he's only four games into his career. He's not Tyler Ennis. I know there's been a little bit of of people have walked back the uh, how good Tyler Ennis was a little bit, and some of that's probably seeing him in the D League and whatnot. Tyler Ennis is a great point guard. And Caleb just, he's a freshman. He's not going to be as good um, as, as Ennis is. Ennis is one of the best freshmen in the whole country. Um, 
I, I do think that it'd be nice to have a veteran option, a pure one behind him, but I think we'll get enough out of Benajay and Patterson and even Cooney uh, where we can spare him a little bit. But um, I don't know. I, I think the trial by fire thing um, can work out either way. I think some, some players respond well to it, some don't. And, and I don't think Caleb has been so bad that I'm really worried yet. He's shown flashes. Um, he's a little lost in the zone, which is to be expected. That's not surprising at all. Offensively, like, we can see he gets to the rim really well. Um, he doesn't always know what to do when he gets there. But these are all things that I think he'll get better at uh, once he gets into the meat of the season and by the ACC uh, schedule. Um, but, no, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen, like, such – he hasn't been consistently bad. He has, like, one or two spurts of, of, you know, or mental lapses where you don't really know what he's thinking, like that mid-range jumper he took at the end of the Iowa game. But I still think that we've seen enough out of him where we I'm pretty comfortable saying he'll be a very good player by the end of the year. Um, and hopefully he responds well to, to needing to develop like that or else the team is sunk. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Right. No, I, and you know what I've I've said to some people, and I know anyone I've talked to is like last year, twenty five and zero start was great. Ennis's shot to be pit was great, but you know, would you rather would you rather start twenty five and zero and have that season end the way it did, or would you rather, you know, start start well, hit some rough patches, um, and then you know, close strong and make the final four the way that the 2012-2013 team did. Um, yeah, maybe these rough patches for, for SU were happening a little bit earlier than that team's did. But at the same time, like, I'm not – I would say I'm more concerned about this team than I was that one. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, UConn and some other teams have proven lately that it only matters if you get there. And, and if you're if you're going to round into proper form once you're in the tournament, that's fine. And I think that that's, that's, that's what I would just caveat. I know I'm not known for being the most optimistic person on the site, but I think that let's have some patience. Let's let's wait this one out. Um, I'm willing to to let this season develop as is, knowing that young guys playing either their first meaningful minutes or their first minutes at all at the college level are only going to get better uh, throughout the season. And I think what we see come early February um, right in, in the heart of that that rough path in the schedule we face, like Duke twice in Carolina and Virginia and everybody, really. Um, the team that we see then will probably be much more indicative of the team that we see come March. Yeah, for sure. And and I don't think that the two things are mutually exclusive where you can only start hot or end hot. Um, last year, I think, you know, there was a decent amount of luck that went into starting so well. I, we... You know, we had teams like St. Francis very nearly beat that team early on. Minnesota and Cal both gave, uh, and Baylor, all close games in the Maui Invitational. Um, St. John's was a close game, and they weren't all that great. Like, there were a lot of, of tight games early on, the, both Miami games. So, it, was, it wasn't like that, that 25-0 start was just that team mauling people. They, they knew how to win games, which, you know, I don't know if that's something that we have quite yet this year. Um, they had Ennis, who was so steady and so fantastic running the offense, um, and the defense was, was farther along because they had players like Fair and, and Grant who had more experience in it, and Christmas was a very good defensive player last year as well. Um, 
but but this team this year does profile like one that should only get better just based on the youth and the and the inexperience that they have right now. Uh, so I, I do hope I, I do have the same thoughts that if there's a team that's going to kind of replicate what 2012 2013 did, even though that team is also more experienced than this one, um, it will be a team like this where where only three guys in the in the rotation right now have played meaningful minutes last year, and Benajay. Meaning they were meaningful minutes, but it wasn't like he played a ton. He played what maybe twenty minutes a game last year. Um, so it's a very inexperienced team, but but those are the types that should get better on paper, and I'm, I'm hoping they do. And, and I think we should trust Bayheim enough to, to, you know, develop this team. I think that's that's extremely fair. I think, you know, it's. It sounds like a cop-out sometimes to, to say let Beheim do what he does and, you know, find a way. But I think, you know, I, I do think he's earned it. And, and I think that, no, like, it sounds silly when we when we say this about the basketball team and, and what we said about the football team, but I, there is a distinct difference in the situations, obviously, <laughs> based on um, the history of both the tenure of the coaches, um, and, and you know what, if, if Scott Schaefer ends up around long-term at SU, then, yeah, maybe one day he has the same luxury to, you know, make decisions and figure it out as he goes and, and everything will work out in the end. Yeah, I think if you can't rely, if you can't lean on having a Hall of Fame coach for things like this, I mean, when, when are you allowed to? So. No, Absolutely. Um, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, guess parting shots, we'll, we'll avoid football and basketball. Um, the, uh, college football playoff rankings will come out tomorrow. At this point, we've, uh, we've resigned ourselves to the fact that they will not make sense. Um, they will base themselves on a completely different arbitrary metric each and every week. Um, Dan, what is the one big surprise that you are expecting? Um, from the college football playoff rankings um, come tomorrow, well, tomorrow night for when we're recording this, but tonight for when everyone's reading. Would it be a big surprise if they're exactly the same as last week? Because I kind of feel like that would be a surprise. I mean, that would actually be the biggest surprise of all. Because Alabama didn't do anything, obviously they didn't do anything to to move themselves off off of one. I don't know that Oregon would have jumped them or moved down. I think the only thing you might see is maybe Florida State moves down to four, but I, I almost can't see – I almost can't imagine that would happen. Uh, but maybe it would because this, this, this committee doesn't seem to be all that impressed with Florida State. Uh, and Mississippi won with like 50 to nothing against a, a crap team, so a Mississippi State rather. Um, I don't know if they'd move out of the four spot. And I know it's not supposed to be a week-to-week thing, uh, they, and they've done a pretty good job about not making it that. Um, but I don't know what anyone behind them would have done to jump into that top four. Ohio State had a nice one in Minnesota. Uh, not, who did they play? Ohio State played. Uh, yeah. Ohio State played Minnesota, right? Or no, Minnesota. Yeah. Played. Uh, uh, Ohio State, State played, uh, played Indiana and struggled for three quarters. Right, right, so any game Indiana. control was thrown out the window. Yeah, there were definitely not a lot of game control in Indiana. Tevin Coleman ran for like 200. And I think he broke the uh, Ohio Stadium rushing record, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he's great. But uh, Ohio State didn't look great against beating against uh, Indiana. Minnesota beat uh, Nebraska, obviously. 
and I watched that whole game. I don't know why I was just confused. But um, it's the Big Ten. Yeah, all those teams wear red. They all melt together. Yeah, and they're all Big Ten teams. They all, they all. They all um, and then you know you have Baylor and TCU bubbling under, but I don't. I don't know that anything this week makes me think that there's going to be a lot of movement. I think maybe if anything, you see uh, Mississippi State and Florida State flip flop. But me, I don't know if he has, if the selection committee wants to enter the wrath of uh, FSU Twitter. Um, maybe this will be a week where it'd be better to not talk about the Knowles and just leave them be. Yeah, honestly, like it's funny because you know we said beforehand before the um, before the year started that you know margin of victory um, won't play a factor, but style points have, and to me, style points are largely determined by margin of victory. So. And style points are also incredibly subjective. So to me, it's it's, it's a lot of hypocrisy. Um, and and actually, it's funny if uh, if you remember what I brought up when the rankings first came out about um, about basketball potentially doing the same thing. It's it's very likely that that happens. Oh, that's going to happen. It's like I don't know what the ratings for the show has been. But I'm sure they're better than whatever else that would have aired at that time, unless there's like a weird Tuesday. I mean, there's there's no big time sports on a Tuesday night for that hour, half hour uh, that they would have aired. So, I mean, there's so much intrigue in the NCAA tournament. I don't think they'll be it'll be as good as college football because college basketball just doesn't move the meter like college football does nationally. But uh, if you don't think that they're, if you think they're going to decide not to do a show like this for basketball, you are crazy. <laughs> they're absolutely going to do it, and I probably will resent it. But um, it's probably going to happen, so, so get ready for that. I'm going to watch it every week. I actually think oh, yeah, yeah. basketball I mean, could <laughs> basketball I'll, be I'll more be, interesting. I will be professionally mandated to watch it every week. Um, <laughs> I, I still say they should just straight up put a camera in the selection committee room and broadcast it on ESPN News all day. And just let that happen. And I'm probably not yeah, that far off. I mean, what's <laughs> that like? Well, what makes that any different than election coverage? And people watch that. <laughs> like, and it's pretty much the same exact thing. I'd probably hate it, and it'd be like like sports on C-SPAN or something. But it would be pretty interesting. There'd be someone that would have to watch all of it, and at least then you'd get you'd see what the the rationale is rather than the. Uh, a 45-second Jeff Long interview to get at the end of uh, that show. So, But uh, we're probably not that far off. I, I bet eventually this will be, you know, in, in 10 years we'll have uh, new selection committee shows every day and, and uh, we'll never be able to escape uh, ranking things. So who knows? Thanks, Internet. Uh, you know, I do like the college basketball idea, but only because since, since things are a lot, a lot more fluid, in basketball, you know, a team could just have a very big week and have to face three ranked teams in a week, and if they run through those, they could go from, you know, fringe four seed to potential one seed. Like, I think there's there's a lot more intrigue there, and I think if college basketball is smart and it wants to get that casual to moderate fan base that only pays attention starting in uh, early March to pay attention, you know, further out in the year, um, throwing a, a selection show like that in kind of late January, early February could be a perfect way to do it. Yeah. The only problem is then you have to make this committee 
meet for so long and redo a 68-team field, which is more confusing than doing the 14 field, I can imagine that just being like a whole thing. But that doesn't mean it won't happen. It, it probably is going to happen. Um, yeah, I guess going back to my original question about surprises, um, some surprises that I, I think we may see, uh, I think that this might be the week that the committee decides to put Baylor above TCU. That should happen. I, 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 I'm resigned to the fact that Baylor is – I feel like they have to jump TCU if they went out. Like, I just – the, the the resumes aren't so – I know Minnesota looks better and better every week for TCU, but I don't think Minnesota is a good enough win to to outweigh a head-to-head victory, um, especially one that Baylor, you know, they had to come all the way back in that game, and, you know, they, they were incredibly impressive in the fourth quarter. So as much as I, I really like TCU, they're one of my favorite teams to watch, I can't imagine them still, like, staying, sitting around when they have – more or less identical uh, Big 12 resumes, except that Baylor has the head-to-head. And the team that Baylor lost, West Virginia, TCU very nearly lost. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I, I agree. I don't know if it's this week, but I agree it'll happen eventually. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, I, I want TCU to stay above. I don't... I, I usually put stock in head-to-head. I, I just think that this game was so close. It was at home for Baylor. I think that it's tough to say that, like, one really good quarter decides your season for TCU. But, I mean, you could also say that for a lot of different teams. I, I do think Baylor moves ahead eventually. Um, I, I think that I think the road and, and, and home wins are going to start playing in here in terms of when they're looking at those quality victories, you're looking at the Kansas State and Oklahoma um, and then each other. I, I think that could weigh in. And, to be honest, I do think that the Minnesota game, like if, if Baylor had just played anybody, like if Baylor had played, if Baylor had just played even us and beaten us, I think that, that, that there wouldn't be no argument. Yeah, the problem is that they played the easiest not to schedule of NC State. So. Right. Like because of that and that alone, like it, it – this is going to be an interesting test for for the committee. I mean, you and I talked before the season, and a big thing was, like, we want, you know, we want a non-power team to go undefeated to see how, to see what they do with it. And it ends up that, <laughs> you know, it ends up they're not doing anything. The committee doesn't even care that Marshall has a team. Um, so so that, that 11-0 record the Thundering Herd currently has, it matters matters not <laughs> to this, this discussion at all. Um the other things that we said could be interesting, uh, the, the conference champs argument, which is going to be interesting. We also said at the end of the day, um, it shouldn't matter. Like, if you're undefeated, you're undefeated uh, as a power team, and then everybody else will fall in line. It's interesting now that given what we thought before, that Florida State is being treated the way it's being treated. Um, Oregon has a real shot, and this will lead to my final surprise, Oregon has a real shot at leaping over Alabama this week, to be honest. And a lot of that is going to be because I think UCLA is going to find itself at seven. Yeah, they love they love them from UCLA, the committee. Um, <laughs> even though 
even though UCLA spent a lot of the season being as unimpressive as possible. Um, although they did, you know, they smacked around USC, and I think that's a pretty good win. Um, but, yeah, like if you had told me back after the non-conference schedule where UCLA just couldn't figure it out, and they'd be the seventh in the uh, with, with, what, two or three such and too many things used to go, um, I probably wouldn't have believed you. But, yeah, uh, I, I could definitely see Oregon sneaking ahead. It, it all depends on what Alabama does in the Iron Bowl and the SEC championship, and likewise with, with Oregon and the Pac-12. Um, I wonder if the Big 12 is left out altogether from the field, how quickly do they get two teams into that conference to get a championship team? Because I don't know if they could do it by next season, next year, but I'd say 2016 they would have a championship game. I agree, but the, you know what? The, the problem is, like they, they keep repeating that that stupid talking point about about payouts per team. I think every team would rather – that's almost null and void because if you talk payouts per team, if you add two teams and a championship game, chances are that championship game will increase the payouts per team to the previous level anyway if you added the right teams. And then if you're talking in a couple extra uh, college playoff berths every decade, I, I right. somehow think Baylor and TCU would donate a couple million dollars back to the to the pool – to get a chance to play for the national championship. That might just be me. Okay, I think they'd make that trade. But I don't, I mean, again, it's like, who are the teams? Like, you just, by going to, by going to West Virginia, they they made their bed eastward. I think Cincinnati, I just, BYU, and maybe UCF, two of those. But do you think, yeah, like, do you think that the BYU becomes, becomes a non-starter because, you know, flights to Provo from Provo to Morgantown would be the most hilarious Big 12-y thing that ever happened. Yeah, but is it that much worse than Morgantown to anywhere else? Like, at, at a certain point, like, you're just it's, – it's just far. Where um, – and I think that's why Cincinnati makes more sense than anyone. They're a good program. They've shown that they're going to invest in the program. They've won recently. They're fairly close to the rest of the Big 12, but also to West Virginia and make the natural – travel partner there. Um, and then BYU, I think, just brings the national uh, the, the national fan base that no one thinks about. Um, they have uh, – they, they I think they do pretty well on TV because of that. Um, and they're a good, a really good well. main program. And then UCF, I think I think that that's the, the sleeper. Um, they are Florida a really solid program. They bring Florida. Um and they've also like they've shown that they're they're dedicated to winning. So I think those are the three. I think it, it's most likely BYU and and Cincinnati, but I wouldn't count out uh, UCF. Okay, here's here's two hilarious points and possibilities here um, with regard to expansion in general, and, and a lot of these programs we're talking about. One, if this had happened five years ago. USF would be above UCF, and it's crazy that USF could end up getting jobbed royally in this entire thing just because of one bad coaching hire. Yeah, well, that's that's what happens. That's why I that's why I uh, will very rarely criticize Daryl Gross <laughs> because right. one bad coaching hire did not kill the Syracuse program, and, and one good coaching hire saved it. Yes, and he's done. He told Beheim and Desto to do what they need to do, 
Um, hopefully that doesn't mean NCAA things, but either way, like he's kept the good program successful and he's made the other pro the, the vast majority of the other programs way better than they were. And football is probably the trickiest one to figure out. And he's, you know, right now he's one for two in coaches and we'll see what happens next. But again, people love to, to heap crap on Daryl Gross and, there, it's no given. Like people say, oh, we were definitely going to make the the, the next choice of the ACC because we were left out. Uh, we, you know, we were left at the altar last time. Um, go back and read that uh, Boston Herald report on, on UConn getting blocked by BC. Like it, we could have very easily been the school that was, you know, freaking out after getting left at the altar and burning bridges, and instead we were the first ones in uh, the next time around. And UConn is out in mid-major down. So, and that's not to make fun of UConn. That's just the reality of the situation. Um, Daryl Gross could have played this very poorly, and he did not. And now Syracuse, for as bad as this year is going in football and as mediocre as we've been for a decade now in football, is still one of the teams at the table. And only about half of the ball is at that table. So, uh, again, I, I very, very rarely find reason to criticize him. Um, as a, for for the the grand scheme of things, obviously there are minor things, uh, especially with football, that I can. But overall, he he did what he did. The most important thing that he uh, set out to do as AD, he did, and there was no real indication that we were going to get left out at that time. No, and that's a great point. It's one that I was kind of arguing back and forth uh, in the football recap post today. I know the game happened days ago. We're still kind of talking about it, about Gross's legacy and how Gross should be walking on water right now. Um, the other hilarious, and we'll kind of end it here, the other hilarious point I was going to make um, when I alluded to the two earlier was what if the Big 12 decides that it has to stay East and goes with UConn? I mean, it'll be a terrible football move. They'll be creating another Iowa State. But... Big 12 basketball turns into a real thing, like a really, really good, probably top three league. Um, I think UConn would have to take it. I think that would not be their first choice, although they don't have choices right now. Um, and I agree the basketball would be good, but I don't think that really matters as much as we all want to thank being Syracuse fans. And I don't think Texas would be on board with that, and that's well, I guess crazy possibility with that. What if ESPN pulls the plug on Longhorn Network and says to them, transition it to the Big 12 Network. Big 12 Network goes, we need a foothold in New York. UConn says we have that. I, I don't rule out anything because I didn't think Maryland and Rutgers would be in the Big 10 in 2014. But <laughs> um, I just don't think UConn's the... I, they just don't they, – they don't fit the uh, the Big 12. The Big 12 made a mistake by like in Louisville uh, back in the day. Right. Like West Virginia over – I mean, they probably should have taken both in retrospect, but uh, – They should have Louisville, taken both in Cincinnati and called it a day because they'd honestly yeah, be – Yeah, then they would be in a very decent place right now. Um, UConn, football king, UConn's one of the five worst football programs in the country. Um, and maybe Bob Diaffer did them out. But either way, they're in a, a talent-poor state. 
Uh, as much as I, you know, as a former Connecticut football player, not a great – it's not a bad talent state by, you know, per capita, but you know, there's only maybe a handful of D1 players, and that's being very, very uh, liberal with the use of D1 player. Um, and they all go to Syracuse. Yeah, and half of them go to Syracuse anyway. Um, and, you know, you have the ESPN link with UConn, but I, I don't think that's as strong as it was in the 80s. Um, and I, I just don't think – I think the the power the power brokers in the Big Twelve, which starts and ends with Pets and then is a little bit of Oklahoma and a little bit of a couple other schools, I just can't imagine them being cool with that move. Fair. I could be wrong. I, I don't I mean and that this isn't this isn't like anti UConn bias that it I just don't imagine that being it. And I think if UConn was being honest with itself, it would have to take the it would if they got offered by the Big Twelve, they would have to go. Just like of course. Uh, if, if the Big Ten had offered us before ACC, we would have had to jump to there. Like, it just – that just would have been what had to happen. But they're obviously banking on – I think they talked more about the Big Ten now than anything because they have some weird, like, West Virginia-ish anti-ACC thing going on in stores right now. Um, but it, it would clearly be the third best option available to UConn as well. But it is – what I mean, survival is more important than anything else. So that would be an interesting one. I don't see it, but uh, I, you know, could be completely wrong. I'm not an expert on realignment. I don't think anyone is. I mean, and honestly, without jumping into it, I think we all know if if you were getting rid of markets as as the deciding factor and just fit, I'd honestly go with Marshall. But Uh, I know that that's not. Well, West Virginia fans (laughs) would hate it, but at the same time, you'd have a pretty fun rivalry right off the bat. Yeah, but West Virginia wouldn't even want to acknowledge it. Like they don't, they didn't play Marshall this year, and and the only reason they do play them is when the state makes. So, I just I don't know if West West Virginia has any clout, but I, they would be, they would be mad. Like they would be really mad about that. Yeah, unfortunately, Marshall has to go through the typical, you know, Sun Belt slash MAC to CUSA to Big East slash American Athletic. Yeah, how is the power five? What was that? How is the American not taking Marshall yet? And they took Tulsa. Well, I mean, they they already like planted their flag in the Southwest with Tulane and SMU and Houston. They kind of had to like stay over there. Plus, like at least those are markets. Like, yeah, I guess that the the AAC goes for cities before like anything else. It seems like, but it just seems like they were just gobbling up every school that they conceivably could for a while. So I was kind of surprised that Marshall wasn't in that group, but. You know, I mean, I would, uh, maybe, I would think maybe in the next wave of American expansion. <laughs> I would think the next wave of American expansion would involve probably Old Dominion. If they were That'd smart. Actually, to be honest, I think the MAC would be smarter. I, I, I would think that Georgia Southern and, and Old Dominion would be some very good ads. And to be honest, if they wanted to really, like, kind of slap the ACC in the face a little bit. Grabbing some, grabbing two schools like that that are, like, rising in states where the ACC has been for years would be smart. I think that, to be honest, I think the MAC, I I wouldn't doubt that the MAC is sitting around once UMass leaves if they, if they try. And if I were them, I would have added Middle Tennessee State and then Old Dominion. 
you know that the AAC is going to think about it and then accidentally call Georgia State instead. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, we brought him for Atlanta. But really, we had the wrong Yeah, GSU, we're in. <laughs> yes, I've actually, I've actually gotten con like, uh, I've had people take multiple tweets to explain me the difference between GS and GSU. So I'm, I'm intimately aware with the fact that that, that is a, a whole thing. Um, but, yeah, I could totally see them uh, taking Georgia State for the uh, hashtag Atlanta brand and then uh, watching them lose every game every year. Yeah, I, I, I say that's a fair bet. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that I think the Americans on on firm ground right now. I, I do think that if some of the Big Twelve moves that we had maybe uh, joked about happen, I almost think the Big Twelve, the Big Twelve, I almost think that, that the American goes the uh, goes the CUSA option and invites more than necessary. Like, for the sake of it. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I mean, you can almost guarantee that if UCS left, they would grab FAU, FIU. Um, if Old Dominion, like, again, I think if the Mac's smart, at some point in the near future, they'll grab either Middle Tennessee and Old Dominion or Western Kentucky and Old Dominion. Because I think that both of those schools have a lot of upside for them. I think that they could be cultural fits. There's a lot to like. If you're if you're the Mac and you're trying to kind of plant yourself a foothold, like right now the Mac, outside of like the occasional outbreak from Northern Illinois, um, really doesn't factor in to this uh, this, this gang of five playoff bid. Um, so what they need to do, if I were them, is get a team like that that has upside, could have potential clout in the future, get you access to markets that you don't have any access to right now. Uh, because otherwise, you're pretty much just going to be waiting in line behind um, the Mountain West that looks, that very much looks like um, it is the only league capable of getting a team in there right now. Especially if, if uh, teams aren't going to cooperate and let ECU run through uh, run through the schedule, which obviously they didn't this year considering Temple beat <laughs> Right. Not to disparage the job that Matt Rule is doing. He's actually doing a very nice job at Temple. A place that you really shouldn't be able to win at, but he is. So different. Same, same for Memphis. Actually, I, I think it's worth, I think it's worth acknowledging both of those programs as things that are doing better than Syracuse for inexplicable reasons. Absolutely. Anyway, now that we've gone down our uh, our, our, our once retired and now back mid-major rabbit hole, I think we can. Uh, Maybe we can call it quits unless you had uh, any other parting thoughts. No, I'm I'm 100% in on basketball season now. Uh, I hope that uh, Boston College doesn't murder a football team, but I don't have great expectations. Um, and I hope that we can make up the requisite uh, six points in the Orange Eagle Trophy race quickly. Be very nice. Would also be very nice to send DC to Birmingham, but we'll see. Those things could still happen. Um, anyway, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks for uh, tuning in to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. As always, um, you can subscribe, review, and rate us on iTunes and on Blog Talk Radio. Say nice things. We try to say nice things about you guys whenever we can. Um, and yeah, go Orange and uh, have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. 
Likewise, they're orange and everything else. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all stages or situations.